So here's what we're going to do. Paul is going to close us out in 1 Corinthians. So how many of you have been to every table this week, this year? Okay. A handful of us. You liar. I know you haven't. Okay. Very good. Kudos to you. I don't know. Jewels in heaven, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you get. But we're going to close out 1 Corinthians in chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, open it up. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to have, I'm going to have Zach read. So here's, here's what I love about this chapter is, it's really just Paul's random closing thoughts. Um, you, normally when Paul closes out a letter, he, he kind of finishes the meat of the sermon, whatever the message that he wanted to write, which ended at, at the end of 15, and then the last chapter is usually just kind of random things, and I like random things. I like, I like just raw thoughts, so that's what... That's what <laughs> Paul's, Paul's going to share his raw thoughts, and then I'm going to share some of my raw thoughts um, with us tonight. Here we go. Raw thoughts, part two. Read 1 Corinthians 1, sorry, 16, 1 through 4. Now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send the letters, those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. It is suitable for me to go as well. They will travel with me. All right, so Paul is um, he's starting by talking about giving. Uh, this, is, this, is a big, this is a big topic for Paul. It isn't just, uh, hey, guys, we need money. This is, for Paul, this, is, this runs deeper. In fact, if you want a, kind of a longer discourse on what Paul thinks about why we should be generous as followers of Jesus. It's in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Both chapters really kind of dive into it, but let me read a couple highlights. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Then he says, he goes on in in chapter 9, The point of this the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who's, who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that, so that in every way, always having everything that you need, you may excel in every good work. And then verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. So he says that we are generous because Jesus, because Jesus sacrificed, Jesus gave, and, and this generosity that we should have should, should flow from our recognition of what he has done. So we are, we are generous because of Jesus, and our generosity produces gratitude to God. He says that not only does, you know, what, what you sow, you reap. Um, and I have experienced that to be true in my life. Every time my wife and I have felt like we've given and sacrificed, um, we've, never, we've never regretted it. Never. And, but that's not really the point. The point isn't necessarily what we get from it, but there is definitely this, this harvest that comes. But I, I think it's interesting, verse 11 says, that your generosity produces um, gratitude in others. And as I think about, um, 
Well, even tonight, I have some friends that have showed up from years past tonight, to, and I had no idea they were coming, and their generosity, um, driving a long way, several hours, some of them, um, to, to be here tonight is produces gratitude in my heart, thankful to God for the people that God's put in my life. And so it's, I see this principle working. I want to say something to those of you who are graduating and those of you who are leaving. I pray that you leave here and head into the next stage of your life as contributors and not consumers. Um, I pray that you go with a desire to give and to sow seeds of faith and generosity and to reap the reward from them. From them. And the rest of you, I want to ask you that question. What, where are you generous? What resources do you have that you could be generous with? Um, this is not um, something that you just wait until after college, you know, because you're poor. Um, I'm not buying it, by the way. Uh, you know, this isn't something you wait. This is something you do now. All of you have resources whether it's your, your time, whether it's your, the abilities that God's given you, gifts you have, whether it's, it's finances. I mean, all of you have something. And many of you. I mean, I, could, I didn't have time to think about all, to list all the people that I think that live this out, that I see here showing up and serving and giving in a lot of ways. But I want to ask you that. You know, where are you? Where are you, Genesis? What are the resources that God's given you? And Paul, Paul isn't asking for irresponsible generosity. Um, giving without thinking. He's, 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 he's asking for something deeper and profound. He, he, notice what it says. He says, this generosity, actually, um, it says it needs to be on the first day of the week. So, in other words, it, it, there's a system to it. It was systematic for Paul. Um, he says, church, take a collection. There was organization to it. And then he says, you should give out of what's prospering, how you're prospering. In other words, it should be proportional. So our giving should be systematic, it should be organized, it should be proportional. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just be thoughtless and, ah, oh, you know, it's easy to not think about it and just give. But to think about it and to be intentional with what you have and your resources. And that's, got, that's what Paul's calling them to. And so I think it's worth us listening to. All right, read 5 through 12. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia for I will be traveling through Macedonia. And perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while, you with, while with you, because he is doing the Lord's work, just as I am. So let no one look down on him, Send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, because I am expecting him with the brothers. Now brother, about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all, at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Okay, so Paul, um, he, he kind of normally does this, kind of talks about his travel plans, how he wants to come see them, but he needs to stay in Ephesus because of this door that's open, this opportunity he has. Um, for gospel work, and he, and he even he, he he wants to because of, or maybe in spite of the opposition. Paul seems to, in his letters, seems to welcome opposition. It it seems to mean that something's happening, something's going on right, and I think that's true. Uh, many of you, um, even talking to tonight recently, just have gone through stuff, and 
Sometimes opposition that we find and that we face gives us opportunities like never before to trust in the Lord, to rely on Him, opportunities that we, we would never see um, in, in, other, in other chances. And so um, Paul, Paul seems to face his opposition head on, which we'll talk more about later. And then he prepares a way for Timothy and for Apollos. Um, and then Paul models, I think, uh, for them and for, for some of the others he's going to mention, these next two verses. Um, so read 13 and 14. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Okay. So we're going to spend more time talking about those here in just a moment. And you're going to get, get to hear my raw thoughts on those five things. Um, but, but I want to say, Paul, for Paul, this is, a, this is a summary of kind of the message in his final proclamation, is these five things. Now, actually, he has six and so I want you to read 15 through 18, and I want you to hear, try to pick up on what the sixth thing he's trying to say. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus present, because these men have made up your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. So Paul's sixth thing is, I want you to see these people. He, he acknowledges these faithful people and points to them and says, listen to them, follow them, submit to them. And I love that. Um, I, I don't think we, we do that enough. I think sometimes we're afraid of, you know, highlighting cer- certain people and not highlighting others. But in a little bit, I'm going to point to some people and some examples that I, I think you all should follow. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, but the other, last thing I want to say is, usually in Paul's letters, at the end of his letters, he lists names. Um, does it a lot, quite a bit in Romans, obviously here, um, in several of the other letters. But don't skip over the names. Don't, don't speed past them. Don't just, ah, I can't pronounce it, so I won't even try. Those names represent somebody who lived and w- had real faith and was, was going through real difficult times in Paul's day. And to me, those names make this real. Like this isn't just some ancient manuscript thing. This, these were, uh, this was a letter dealing with real people. We, we don't know hardly anything about some of these people other than what Paul says. But, but Paul obviously knew them and, and someone knew them. And so they may not be famous like Paul is or Peter is, um, but they lived their life, and they were faithful, and they were a part of the ministry that God had going on in there. And that is many of you. That is, that is you. Like you, you may not be known for whatever, but, but the goal is, success is, faithfulness to Him. And whether people know your name or not, you have an opportunity to be a part of His kingdom and to contribute in that way. And so let's finish up the last few verses, read 19 through 24. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My Lord be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he... 
he ends by stating um, that this is, I'm writing this in my own hand. He does that a lot. A lot of times he had somebody transcribing for him. And sometimes he tells us who that is and other times we don't know. But it's clear that somebody is because he says, now I'm writing this in my own hands. And it's interesting what he chooses to say. <laughs> Did you notice that? Whoever doesn't love the Lord, may he be cursed. Like, what? Okay, Paul, that's a little harsh. It's pretty raw. Um, what does he mean by that? Uh, so the word love is mentioned three times in this chapter. Um, the other two times, it's agape love, unconditional love. This time, Paul, it's, it's phileo love, which is just interesting to me. So what's he saying? I think what he's saying is those who oppose Jesus, may they, basically, may they see the consequences of their opposition. May they face those things. And, and Paul says in many other places, other, other times he says, um, in, in order that they would repent. You know, so he's not just saying, curse, it, curse all those people. You know? He's saying, those who oppose me, those who don't like this, this way, this Jesus that we have given our life to, May they reach, may they face those consequences. May they face that and turn, I believe, is what he's saying. And then, he, and then he points to his love for them, and he points to the grace of God. And then he says, he, he points to the coming of Jesus. This is something that I don't think we, I don't know if you, in your prayer, when you close your prayer time with the Lord, if you say, Lord Jesus, come, today, come. And there's something about it. Paul knows something that I think we don't know. If we don't pray that way, it's because Paul knows something that we don't know. And so, um, it's a good reminder that when we, when we pray, to keep in mind this, that we're in a state, we're in a world that is not fully restored, and it won't be until the Lord comes. And we need to ask Him to come. We need to pray for Him to come. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at... Um, Verses 13 and 14, those five things that are listed. I want you to take one minute just to kind of pray and reflect, read those things, think through which of those do you need to hear tonight, and then I will continue. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. It's almost like Paul wrote a, like a graduation speech. Um, I don't know if you've heard messages like that. I, I always kind of go, oh, here we go. But there's something about this. Uh, when I was reading through it, it was like... Th- these verses seem to jump off the page to me. They seem to not, 
I know they do fit in context. I know it's, it's Paul's kind of just final exhortation, and I know they fit, but to me they seemed to be so appropriate for what I would want to share in my last message at the table officially as a college minister. Like I said, I will be around. I'm not going anywhere. But I want to just talk through each of these things. And then I want to point to someone who I think exemplifies these things for you to look to. First one, be alert. So it either means one of two things in Paul's writing. He uses this word quite a bit. It either means um, it's eschatological in nature, which means it is like Jesus, wait, uh, be alert because Jesus could come at any time. Kind of like what Paul prayed, Lord, come, come Lord Jesus. It could be, be ready. Be ready, have your life in order, because Jesus could come at any time. could be that. Or it also could be a warning against falling, falling into temptation and sin. Like a watch yourself. Okay, Watch yourself. Don't, don't fall into that. And I think based on what I see happening in the letter, um, over and over, Paul is confronting them in things. Sin things, theological things, relational things. Um, Verses, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, he says, Be careful not to fall away. He talks about that no temptation is, is seized you except what is common to man, that God is faithful and just, and that he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And I believe that is connected to what he's saying here with be alert. There are so many, so many opportunities and temptations um, here at college. And, and I don't want to get into the, the big ones that you all know about. But I want to talk more about the, the way we can easily drift. Okay, so I need three volunteers. I need three volunteers to come up. You? I can't eat. Is that it? Oh, Israel? Yes? Who's that? Jonas? <laughs> all right, I need a girl. Madison. Israel, Jonas, and Madison, come on up. This light is bright, okay? That's why I can't see. Madison, you're right here. You're right here. You're standing here, and you're standing there. Madison, you were, you were Jesus. So st- <laughs> stand there. And be all, just, hey, all you have to do is stand like Jesus would stand. How would Jesus stand? Like that? Are you sure? <laughs> all right. She's going to stand there all, all Jesus-like. And you represent us. Okay, Israel, represent the people. Jonas, you represent the world um, and all that's wrong with it. Okay. So he's going to stomp me out. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, represents culture, the world. Sarah, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your arm on his shoulder like this. No, like, yeah. Like you're pushing oh, okay. him away, okay? You're keeping him at arm's distance. So this is, this is good, right? So we got right here we have, we have us keeping culture at arm's distance close to Jesus. That's great. That's great. If, if all, all we're concerned about is just kind of being a little less bad, that's a terrible, um, a little better, that would be the, a little better than the world. Just keep the, ar- the, the world at arm's distance. What happens when the world moves? When the culture shifts? So you start shifting that way. Keep going with them. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, simple illustration. You know, if, if, all your, if all your job is, all your goal is just to be a little better than the rest of the world, as the culture shifts, so do you shift. And guess where you shift away from? Jesus. You guys may sit. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I, I saw that done, I don't know, probably 15 years ago. I have never forgot it. Because that's me. That's me. It is, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep the world just a little, just at arm's distance, just a little bit. And it's amazing how far you can drift when that's your goal. That's not the goal. The goal is to look to Jesus. The goal is to stay close to Him. And, and in doing that, you will be a light. And you will face opposition, I believe. Um, but embrace it. So I want to say something to Drew. And I'm just going to read this because I don't think I can look at him and say it. So Drew, you have been the best partner in ministry over the last 11 years. I don't know where you are. I can't see you anyway. <laughs> it's, this thing's so bright that I can't tell. I am more thankful for you than I can express to you tonight. I think the thing I love about you the most is that you make me want to be more like Jesus. You exemplify this, I think, for me, <clears throat> because you have the ability to, to call people to things and to alert people of things that they need to be alerted of in a, in a way that is received well. And I've seen you grow in discipline and in holiness over the last 11 years. And you are a great example of being alert to temptations in your own life, establishing habits that would um, increase your affection for Jesus. And so when I think about this charge of being alert and this ministry and what I hope happens as this ministry continues um, to alert people to um, these, these things that can easily lead us away from Christ. I'm thankful that you are the man for the job. That God has gifted you with the eyes to see and a heart to engage in warning people to drift that can, easily, um, that, that can so easily occur in our life. And I pray that you embrace this responsibility with confidence. All right, <clears throat> hardest one out of the way. All right, so stand firm in the faith. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, stand firm in the gospel. Philippians 4.1 says, stand firm in the Lord. I, I think it, it's all these things. Stand firm in the gospel of our Lord by faith. It is more than just knowing doctrines or being able to recite creeds. It is following God with your whole heart. Someone told me this years ago, and I've never forgotten it, that when you love God with half a heart, you love Him just enough to not enjoy your sin. But you love your sin just enough to not enjoy God. God was not meant to be followed halfway, with half a heart, but with our whole heart. Faith is allegiance to King Jesus, both in mind and heart, in will and action. 
It is whole life belief. There's no, there's no separation. There's no dissecting. So are you divided? Do you live one way around table people and another way when they're, when they're not there to hold you accountable? Seniors, those who are leaving, graduating, I pray that you would stand firm in the gospel. That wherever you go, you would rely on the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done and who you are and, and what he's, how He's called you to live. I pray that you live a gospel-centered life. Randy, you exemplify this well. And again, I have no idea where you are. Um... Even before you came on this team, I thought of you as a woman who is the same at home as she is having a coffee with a friend, or at church, or at your son's games. Your integrated faith is evident to all. And I want to encourage you to continue modeling that to the women at the table, and to the men, obviously. And that is a tough thing to do sometimes. To look a young woman in the eye, and to encourage her to trust in Jesus to live by faith in what He has done, and to not um, walk by sight or by emotion. But you do this already, and you do it well. So I want to say, keep it up. This is, I think, your greatest asset to this ministry, is standing firm in the gospel. I want to say something to my daughters who are here, Kylie and Micah. I pray that you would grow to be the kind of woman who loves God and loves people in a way that is consistent no matter where you are or who you are, who you are with. Be courageous. Be courageous. I don't know if you guys have a little mark by that phrase, but if in your footnotes it might tell you. Um, it literally means act like men. Listen, I don't know what you want to do with that. <laughs> I didn't write it. Um, but that's what it says. It literally says, in the Greek, act like men. Now, the translators, I think, translated it better for us because some things may be lost in translation. Not only Men aren't the only ones who can be courageous. Um, but I, I believe what, they're described, what he's describing here is face your fear and walk in faith. Trust God, despite the unknown. The unknown is scary. Um, I've experienced that this last year and a half, transitioning into this new direction in ministry for me that's, that seems different than anything I've ever done before in, in a lot of ways. And I've been overwhelmed at times. And and so I've gotten a glimpse of what I've talked to so many of you about, like, I don't know what I'm going to do, and, you know, what direction should I head, and what career, what, you know, all that, all of it. And, you know, I've, I've been right there with you. I've needed this particular message this week to be reminded um, that the key to facing, the key to facing my future fear is to remember what God has done is to look back and to see um, victories that He's brought me through and to see the freedom and the growth that comes on the other side of that big unknown hairy thing that's in 
my way that I don't know what it is and I don't know how to get past it. Um, or it's unknown. I'm walking into the dark. I felt like that this year. And, and God is calling me and He's calling you. He's calling us um, to face those things and to walk into those things. That those things can be the greatest opportunities to trust in Him and to grow in Him because success is faithfulness to Him. Zach and Alexia, I have seen you courageously walk in truth when it meant repenting from a passive approach to your faith and when it meant challenging your friends and your family, when it meant traveling overseas for ministry and most recently when it's meant embracing a call to ministry when no one in your family has. Both of you have demonstrated the courage to embrace responsibility as ministers here at the table. And I am so proud of you. Keep it up, wherever you are. I was really hoping to look at you, but I can't see a single thing. Alec, I know where you are. I will never forget the moment we all experienced last fall when you turned your mic off and you went all Mark Driscoll on us. Now, if you don't know who Mark Driscoll is, I don't have time. It's a long story, and there's a podcast about it. I don't think we like Mark Driscoll anymore, or we're supposed to. But back in the day, um, when we liked him, we appreciated his strong, challenging words. And, and when Alec went on Mark Driscoll on us, in a good way, I will add, um, is exactly what we needed. If you weren't here that night, he challenged the men at the table. Challenged is, uh, that's a light term compared to what he did. He called to the men to leave childish things behind, to step up as men of integrity, and to embrace responsibility, and to be the men that God's called them to be, to called us to be. And I remember sitting in the back against the wall, and I just remember thanking God. Not just for the words you said, but knowing that you are the kind of man that they can look to, because I see you doing that. I see you living that out. I see you embracing things, embracing the responsibility that's before you, and stepping up to and stepping into that role with courage. And I just want to say, keep it up. And thank you. Be strong. Um, Andy Casagrande, who's a Shark Week cameraman, was asked what, what, what he's supposed to do. He's, he was asked what he's supposed to do when a great white shark is sh- swimming right at him. And he said, you swim right at the shark. Which doesn't make any sense. He said, if you don't act like prey, they won't treat you like prey. He said, sharks are used to everything else swimming away from them. And when something's swimming at them, they have a natural defense to just turn away. Um, I thought that was an interesting perspective. That if if you have the Lord, you have a strength that is greater than you. A strength that, that can bear all of our sin and conquer the grave. If you combine Colossians 1 and Colossians 3, 
It says that your life, if you are in Christ, your life is hidden in the one who reigns supreme over everything. Your life is hidden in the one who reigns supreme over everything. So what could you be going through that he doesn't reign supreme over? Be strong. When we run from hard things and we seek to avoid them, they will chase us and they will cause greater anxiety in our life. We can give them more power than they deserve. The more we run, the more they will pursue us. Face hard things. Be careful to listen to anyone, a counselor, a mentor, a friend, or even a parent who tries to protect you from hard things. I'm not talking about harmful things. I'm not talking about destructive or deadly things. I'm talking about hard things. Most of the time, um, when, when people do that, it's because they care about you and they don't want you to get hurt. But if you want to see, if you want to know how Paul deals with hard things, read 2 Corinthians 4. 7 through the end of the chapter. Write that down. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through the end of the chapter. Go home tonight and read that. And see how Paul um, addresses hard things. Face hard things. Madison. I am so proud of you. Um, You have faced hard things. Even when people, I think rightly, um, encourage you not to because they were worried about you and you listened to the Lord and you did it anyway. You faced hard things. Probably more than any other student I know in the 11 years I've been here, you have faced some hard things and I have seen you grow and, and grow strong and I am thankful for that. If you don't know Madison's story, um, buy her coffee sometime and she'll tell you. Do everything in love. First uh, Corinthians eight one says love builds up. Thirteen uh, thirteen says of the faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And fourteen one, Paul says, pursue love. Biblical love is not cheap and easy. Whenever we practice love in a way that's all grace and no truth, it's like all pats on the back and no hand in the chest stopping you from doing something stupid. It's like your high school yearbook. You remember your high school yearbook? Remember all the things that your friends in high school told you? I apologize to those of you who are still in high school here. Um, your friends are going to say some not-so-great things, not so helpful things like, um, don't ever change. You, you do you. You are perfect. You are perfect the way you are. And I understand what they're saying. They're trying to be encouraging. They're trying to show you they love you, all that. But it's cheap. It's easy. Because it doesn't cost you anything to say those kinds of things. To only say nice things to a friend that you care about is easy doesn't cost you a thing. You don't have to worry about them getting mad at you. 
You can just, no, you're doing great. You can pat them on the back right off a cliff. And it doesn't help them. We all need, nobody likes to be told no. Nobody likes to be told, hey, stop being an idiot. Nobody likes that. Nobody, nobody wants a hand in your chest saying, stop. But we all need it. We all need it. On the flip side, um, all truth and no grace is like all slaps on the wrist and no arms around the shoulder. Like a judge that barks out harsh judgments without any discernment. It's cheap. It's easy. It's easy to say, stop. You're wrong. Stop sinning. And to not actually care. And to not actually be involved in their life. It's cheap and easy. It doesn't cost you anything because there's no risk of being hurt or them not listening to you. But God's love is a a sophisticated love. The kind of love that He calls us to is sophisticated. It's complex. It's a love that's full of grace and truth. Like Caleb reminded us with the rubber bands. The moment you start to feel the tension of grace and truth is the moment you should know you're doing it right. Rachel, you exemplify this to me. I think you might think you lean more towards grace and maybe not enough truth, but I see such a capacity in you for both. I've seen you do this with me. I've seen you um, speak up when you didn't agree with something I said and, and you were right to do so. I've seen you do this with roommates in the past. I've seen you do this with your family. Your family looks to you because of this. Both sides of, a, of an issue look to you. I want to say keep it up. And as you embrace this new role, I pray that you have the freedom to follow the, follow the Lord, to rely on the gifts He's given you, as you help this team follow the vision that God has for us. And as you do that, may you continue to love with grace and truth and model a Jesus kind of love to the students in, the ministry, in this ministry and the ones to come. Keep it up. Students, you have an amazing team here. And this team has an amazing mission to connect students to Jesus, to the church, and to each other in order to grow lifelong and life-wide disciples of Jesus. If you are graduating and leaving, I pray that you would join them in prayer. And I, would pray, I pray that you would prayerfully consider to join them in giving too. Oftentimes, our heart follows what we sacrifice for. That, that's not only true in giving money. I find, find that wherever my money goes, I'm all of a sudden interested in what happens. Um, and there's several alumni here that can attest to that. I think every one of them here can attest to that. That you care about the things you give towards. It's also true in relationships that you you care more about the people you sacrifice for. But that's another thing. If you are here next year, I pray that you would join this team in in their mission to follow follow Jesus in reaching the campus, to follow their lead, and to serve with them as you reach OSU for Jesus. You have an amazing team. We serve an amazing God. I pray that you would Um, be alert 
that you would stand firm in, in the faith, that you would be courageous, that you would be strong, and that you would do everything in love. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these words that I have needed to hear this week and that, that I have enjoyed speaking. God, I pray that you would use tonight for your purposes, that this evening would glorify you, that we would leave here desiring to trust in you more. I pray for any person here that has not placed their faith in Jesus, that they would talk to somebody tonight before they leave. God, we give this night to you. We give this ministry to you. We give this summer to you as we head off and follow you this summer. I pray, God, that you would help us to see opportunities to grow, that you would help us to see your presence and activity in our life. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.